Welcome to Smart Notes. Hi, guys. <laughs> Do you want to start? Yeah. So, we're here today with my mom, Cheryl Gillespie. You can Hi. say hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> so, my mom recently wrote a book. Well, it's, a, it's like an anthology. So, she wrote the book with four other women. Um, and it's called Compassionate Journey, Honoring Our Mother's Stories. So, Alice and I were like, literary things to talk about besides... Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) Helping us diversify. (laughs) Yeah, so we're just gonna, yeah, just talk about it a little bit. So, well, do you want to summarize what it's about for everybody? Oh, well, I certainly could. Uh, The book is basically five women, four in their 60s, one lady just a hair older. uh, And we were all children of the social revolution, and um, we got together in a workshop at uh, University of Southern Maine uh, at the Glickman that was about writing about your mother and we all noticed that we all carried some serious angst about (laughs) our relationship with our mothers and we got together. We started with 12 women. Uh, It dwindled down to five of us who were serious. We wrote for four years and then spent some time trying to get published. We finally did. Our book has been out for about six months and we're thrilled with the reaction because we find that almost everybody has (laughs) um, a fragile relationship with their mother for one reason or another. So that's what it's about. There's also wrapped around it, there's reflections. Um, there's a little thing in the back called a writer's tool with a guide as to how to write about your mother, prompts, and uh, then there's also uh, discussion questions for readers. So we have been interested in the reaction uh, that we're getting, but most of our reaction is from women more our age, Uh, you know, maybe a woman who is like 40 or 50 stands out in the crowd uh, in the audience that we have when we do readings and and discussions and so forth. So uh, I'm really interested in the reaction of two millennials that I'm sitting with here this morning. We're so young and fancy. Yeah, <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Alice, did you want to, like, do we want to start with talking about, like, the name? Yeah, no, I was curious about the name of the book because it's called Compassionate Journey. And as you mentioned, a lot of us have complicated relationships with with our mothers and I feel like it's also part of like how we understand ourselves and there's just a lot wrapped up there so like I was curious if you could talk a little bit about like why it's framed as a compassionate journey and also what that was like for you yeah the the word compassionate did not come around for quite a while I think we were at least three years we spent a lot of time Dare I say debating what the name was? Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Um, I heard about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think we landed on compassionate because um, we all struggled with coming from a different angle. Uh, two writers were not as angry with their mothers <laughs> as some of us were. Uh, one was kind of in the middle, and two of us um, were very angry, very edgy. I was one of of those. 
Uh, and uh, it took a long time, but I think we eventually uh, rode ourselves to a point where we began to understand our mothers and feel some empathy. And uh, it was basically the one word that we all agreed on, <laughs> finally. Um, and it, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because um, you know, compassionate and honoring our mother's stories, the word honoring and so forth. Um, I don't know if I do <laughs> honor uh, my mother's story, but I do explain it, try to understand it, and, and come to some peace uh, with it. Uh, and hence, that's why the, the book is set up that way. We start off with one that's uh, a little milder, Mine jumps in with some edginess. There's a very sweet one in the middle, mm -hmm. uh, then the other edgy one, and uh, then our dear classic one from our writer who's a, a little bit older than us ends it up. Yeah. Uh, but it was, as Kelly can tell you, it was it changed <laughs> continuously. Even after we were playing with our publisher, we, we uh, kept changing. But I think, title. like, one theme that comes out throughout it, though, is that, like, it's like a journey in realizing that your mom is a person apart from you, which I think is something that's hard for all of us, like, because at, as a little kid, like, your mom is just, like, an extension of you, like, she gets things for you, she cares for you, and oh, it's yeah. all about you, and then, like, you get to a point, like, as a teenager, and then even more so as an adult, where, like, you realize, like, holy shit, my mom is a whole person, like, and it has nothing, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, some of it has to do with you, but some of it is completely separate from you. So, like, starting to, like, talk about that and realize that and think about that more, um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that that's, yeah. that, I feel like that's, like, a compassionate thing to do, like, to realize. <laughs> well, like, yeah, exactly. I think one reason why mine kind of stands out is because... Uh, you know, I was still in my 20s sort of trying to establish autonomy and find my own self and sort of separate myself from my mother. And my father died, and at 26, I became her caretaker. Yeah. My brothers were out of state, and uh, I had a mother who was in severe cardiac illness, and uh, that exacerbated her mental health, the medication yeah. <laughs> she had to be on for pacemaker and so forth, uh, had symptoms that just, you know, really exacerbated her health. So I went from daughter still trying to establish my independence to caretaker, and then bang, she went when I was two years older than you ladies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just lost her. Yeah. And uh, so, the, so I stayed in uh, um, a stage of rage yeah. for a long time. Oh, <laughs> uh, and if maybe we can like summarize a little bit. So you're like we talk about what like the the anthology in general is about. Um, yeah. But I guess maybe we can summarize. So like what your specific essay in the anthology is about. Well, mine is called Questionable Letter. Um, because, um, you know, as, as a family unit, I had a father and two, two older brothers. We always, you know, tiptoed around my mother. You know, the standing uh, comment in the family was, don't say that in front of your mother, don't upset your mother, so forth and so on. Uh, my mother's mental health was very fragile. 
Uh, she had spent some time in Augusta State Hospital in the late 1940s before I was born. Um, I was named for a patient that she was fond of who committed suicide while she was there. Um, a name that I've kind of struggled with from time to time, to time but uh, I'm Cheryl because of her. And um, it just, it took, after a while I started noticing that not everybody, not every family unit took care of their mother. Uh, not everybody's mother went to bed for two weeks at a time and <laughs> wouldn't get up. Uh, that not everybody wanted to stay home from school pretending to be ill because uh, they wanted to keep their mother cheered up and, and so forth. Uh, and um, so, um, you know, I started exploring that. Um, we, I was always told that my mother had a, a letter of sanity from the psychiatrist. She would tell me she had a letter of sanity from a psychiatrist in Augusta State Hospital. And uh, I decided I wanted to find it. And after working with this group for a while, uh, I finally said out loud, my mother was mentally ill. I whispered it at first, and then I started talking about it, and then and now in uh, I have been on television <laughs> talking about my mother being mentally ill. But anyway, so I sent away for the records, um, and amazingly, they were available in 2012 uh, from 1948. Wow. And I looked for the letter, and I never found it. Yeah. Uh, so I write about my mother's life in it, how it affected my life, and uh, I had some help from two lovely daughters, <laughs> and one daughter sitting here with me uh, is actually quoted in it because it was, uh, they were they were born after their grandmother Grace's death, uh, and uh, it was quite a process of trying to um, unpack this, if you will. Yeah? Yeah. Well, if we want to talk a little bit about the names, like, specifically, so, um, first of all, I would like to inform everyone that you never told me that you were named Cheryl Lee after <laughs> someone that grandma met in the hospital until I was, like, 25, and then you were all casual, like, oh, I never mentioned it, and I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Well, it feels like that might be a direct reaction yeah. to, weren't you told at a very young age that that yes. was the reason? Yeah. I yes. can see waiting. Carries a lot of pressure and a lot of weight. <laughs> for you maybe but I think that's interesting because then like you named me Kelsey Grace so Grace was my grandmother's first name and like now that I'm an adult we've talked about how sometimes you wish you had given me Grace as a first name but like at the time that was like maybe too close and too real too painful yeah. but then also that like you had always had that pressure growing up of like you're named after someone so you have to be like that person and perhaps you wanted to like save me from that a little bit Although I am named after Dad, so maybe you curse me with being like Dad. <laughs> J.K. Lord only knows. Yeah, I, I think I purposely sheltered you and your sister uh, from what really happened yeah. to your grandmother until uh, it must have been about uh, 2002. Yeah. Or so that, well, I started writing about her in 2000 yeah. after your uncle Stephen died, and he yeah. was the last of the immediate family. So you kind of, I don't know if you paid much attention. Darcy did pay a little bit of attention to what I was writing. Well, I was like 11. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
um, but uh, then um, for uh, her senior honors writing project, she decided to investigate her grandmother, whom she had never met, and yep. discovered this child protection law, federal child protection law of the 1920s, and speculated as to how that had affected uh, what happened in your grandmother's family. Uh, when your grandmother was an infant in 1924, two town fathers and a reverend in Windsor, Maine, came into the house, took the older children, and left your grandmother, Grace, supposedly until she was weaned, but they never went back. Yeah. So, like, uh, the other siblings were in foster homes and were ado- or were adopted. A two-year-old boy was actually adopted, Kenneth. Yeah. So, so the family was all scattered all over the place. Um, yeah. And, uh, but so, my yeah. grandmother actually grew up in, like, the abusive home that well, the other kids got. until she was 12. Yeah. And then her mother got so sick that she was uh, put in a sanitarium and then she started bouncing around yep. from relative to relative. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a very traumatic story, so it's not something that you immediately, <laughs> immediately start saying, well, your grandmother was yeah. physically and sexually abused by but your great-grandfather. It's, well, yeah, but it's yeah. funny because it's like, mm. and I think we... It, talk you talk about that in the essay um and there's that's maybe a portion where i'm quoted but it's interesting because like because you did partially name me after grace and because from what i understand she and i have some uh similar personality (laughs) traits um so like one thing that you did do like even from a young age if like i was being particularly stubborn or like obstinate about something or if i was like standing up for the underdog you would be like oh it's grace like there she is like stuff like that so and it was someone like she was someone that we heard about and like i always like i guess more so as an adult started to feel like there were like these two versions of her because growing up i feel like i heard all of the positive stories about like how she cared for, you know, people like, you know, other people and oh, like how she was yeah. always a champion for the underdog and, you know, like kind of those like good stories and stuff. And then like starting to hear more about like the other side and, you know, mm-hmm. um, everything else that happened was like a little weird because I was like, this doesn't match up with like, yeah. <laughs> this is like there's two like versions of her and two different. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it's interesting, like, how you choose, you know, you choose to present that, and, like, particularly for me as someone who's, like, named after her, and, like, constantly hearing that you're, like, her, that then maybe, like, you shared more of that with Darcy, who doesn't have that, like, (laughs) that exact connection, and, like, even growing up, there's always the comparison that, like, Darcy's more like Marion, who is our paternal grandmother, and who we actually knew, um, she really, she really isn't. She's actually more like me. Yeah. Than right. But like, because I was the one and, <laughs> and like she now, looks like it. She right. Looks like her, but yeah. like now as the, you know, like as we go, yeah. but like, I think that was like, because I was the one that was like named yeah. after her and because I'm the younger one. So well, there were all these weird little things. So it's like, no, I mean, I, but I think there were similarities, but like, I think it was oh, also yeah. like, because we were named like, uh, you know, after her in a way well, that I think you look for what you what you sometimes what you yeah. want to see because your grandmother Grace was brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, she she was the first female Bosch and Lone uh award winner 
at her high school. Yeah. It was like they made a big deal of that. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, she, she was very, very bright. When she was feeling well, uh, she was a brilliant teacher. Yeah. You know, way ahead of her time as, as far as, uh, you know, a health nut, uh, you know, that, that type of, you know, she, she would have made a great hippie. Yeah. You know, she was born in the wrong generation. Well, she seemed she fairly was, feminist, too, because one story feminist, you always told me was that yeah. she cried when JFK got elected because she thought we were going to lose all of our uh, reproductive rights that they had started to gain. Well, it had been just a... <laughs> it had been like maybe 15 years that birth control was finally legal and still was denied by most... Yeah. Doctors who knew you were a married lady, yeah. uh, you know, in the 50s and the 60s, what do you need that for, and so forth. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, she she was very much for, for uh, women's rights and so forth. So let's, yeah. I mean, that can kind of bring us to something else we, Alice and I were talking about, but um, just sort of about, like, obviously, you know, like, Grace grew up in a completely, and even you, like, grew up in a completely different generation than Alice and I did, and just sort of, like, how, I mean, from a feminist perspective, like, her life might have been different if she, you know, if if Alice or I were her. Um, like, if she know. were born in 1988. Yeah, if she were born 89. in 1988 instead of 1924, or, you know, like, how, like, her life would have been very different, like, just in terms of, like what she would have had access to and, you know, like, what societal expectations for women were. But then even beyond that, like, just in terms of, I think we have a long way to go still with how we talk about and handle mental health issues. But, like, certainly we've come a long way from, you know, like, what how things were when she, you know, when she lived and when she had to go through all that. So I don't know if you have thoughts on that. <laughs> oh, well, um... Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I I go back and forth with the mental health issue. Um, your grandmother had a psychotic break when she was twenty three, and, uh, and it's amazing that she made it that long without falling apart with the abuse and and uh, so forth that she suffered. Um, so she was she was put in there by your grandfather and a family friend uh, in uh, a sheriff, uh, Kennebec County Sheriff, uh, and basically had treatment forced on her uh, and so forth. Um, she was released in your grandfather's custody. She was not released, you know, under her own recognizance. Mm -hmm. uh, letters from her psychiatrist, who was the one psychiatrist at the state hospital. They had 4,800 people in that hospital in the 1940s, yeah. late 1940s. He had two assistants, wow. psychiatrists. They weren't full doctors. But he, talk about compassionate, very, very compassionate notes that he took. Very, very worried about her reentry into society. Uh, you know, your grandfather had to sign a note saying that, you know, he'd watch her carefully, bring her back if symptoms reoccurred, which he didn't. But anyway, and, you know, someone had to be with her for 24-7 uh, initially when she was out and so forth. Um, shock treatments for a while were considered horrible, but I do believe that they brought her out of a catatonic 
psychotic state mm -hmm. that she might not have gotten out of otherwise. Uh, they're back to using shock treatments. Obviously, they're, they're refined yeah. Yeah. now, but they are back to using shock treatments for severely depressed, catatonic Yeah, didn't people. I see something about that on 60 Minutes, or it's like, what's that guy? Uh, he's like a Massachusetts, uh, is it Dukakis? It's like his wife is ha is like clinically depressed and she gets shock treatment she's, to like help her. Better. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's like yeah. just maybe like they, they weren't obviously as skilled at like knowing how to administer it right, in right. the 50s as obviously as yeah. you are now, but it has yeah. such a negative connotation that like they can't get people to do it yeah, anymore. It in horror movies and stuff. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, it could have been worse. I mean, she could have had, you know, like one of those ocular lobotomies or something yeah. like that. That was the trend uh, back then. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, a new story uh, entitled uh, God Knows Where I Am. It is about a psychotic, and I think she's also a schizophrenic woman, who is discharged from the state hospital in Concord, New Hampshire, and I think it's 2006, so yeah, it's yeah. recent. She refused to take medication. She refused treatments. Uh, she left with the clothes on her back, found a, um, an abandoned home in Concord, and she basically starved to death <laughs> in the house. Yeah. So I, 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 you know, in, I'm asked a lot when we do readings yeah. about you know, the mental health situation. You know, one lady even used the term snake pit in 1948 and I'm saying well I don't know you know there has to be some happy medium between you know involuntarily placing someone you know uh, in a state institution versus just letting them walk out yeah. and uh, you know die in an empty house or exist mm -hmm. uh, under, the under turnpike yeah um, because, you know, if it had been now, Lot only knows. I mean, she was very strong-willed. She could be very articulate. Lot only knows how right. they would have talked her into getting treatment. Right, and if she would have been able to talk her way out of it. Right. Well, I think the other thing that's lucky is that she had, um, you know, for all of the arguments and problems that they had, like, she had a husband that cared for her. Oh, and, yeah. like, as much yeah. as, you know what I mean? Like, which is maybe ultimately like the defining factor you know or what might save her from you know like a the like kind of a worse like fate is that like there's this one constant you know like despite not really having parents or you know like a wider family that was watching her and taking care of her like she had this one guy that was like it seems that I, I, I never knew him but like from what I understand yeah. was like fairly committed for his entire life to making sure she was okay yeah. in whatever way that he could and like that's also the thing that would be like be make a difference too mm -hmm. you know right right i mean even though they they tried to keep an illness like that hidden because of the stigma yeah um yeah there was more loyalty yeah. i mean once you were married you were married and i think there was a lot of family pressure yeah. on him to stay with her and take care of her and so forth. And then, of course, there were, there were the kids. Yeah. yeah. You know, what in the world would have happened to us if he left yeah. us with her at a younger age? I mean, yeah. they did break up once I was 12, and you, your uncles were a little bit older in high school age. But, uh, yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's a quandary. I, 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 I don't think we have a grasp at all 
on how to help her mentally ill. No, but I also think that's why like your story is so important because mental health is something that we don't talk about enough. Like I feel like yeah. with every year we're getting better about talking about it and acknowledging that like everyone to a certain degree struggles with mental health. And like, obviously in cases like Grace's, it, like it can get very, very severe to the point that it defines every aspect of your life, but we don't talk about it. We, we no. put to, on like these, you know, happy faces and yeah. it's like, Oh, it's just a phase. <laughs> I'll get through it. And I like, I've had my own struggles with mental health and I think we all have. And it's only like lately that I'm like better at talking about it with other people. And I feel like if we foster this, dialogue that's how people know that like it's okay to be struggling with it and it's okay to seek help um so i your story meant a lot to me that like you were able to like put yourself in like such a vulnerable position to talk about something that like isn't often talked about and like certainly as you were growing up wasn't talked about like at all um so Mm -hmm. i just wanted to thank you for that i guess well thank you and we i think we do still give it a lot of lip service like people will put you know anti-suicide on you Facebook, know, on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how we end it, yeah. Mom. We put- yeah. Or any any time, any time there's like a a shooting, that's like when it, it, we get like the oh, most yeah. dialogue, but not in a way where it's like we're actually going to do anything to help or to fix. Just in a way where it's like, oh, it's this is the problem. And and I think it's because it would be so expensive to actually. Treat them. Well, I think it'd be a lot of research because I think we also don't know. Like, I don't know that we've committed enough to it to know what the best like solutions are or the best ways to help people. Like, I think we have temporary solutions that maybe can help the average person. um, Mm -hmm. You know, that just kind of struggles in an average way, like everyone does. But in particular, you know, for someone like Grace. you know, like that has a psychotic break and like me, you know, like it gets to that level. Um, like, I don't think we really know what to do still. And I think like mm-hmm. it would take a lot of time and a lot of research and a lot of, you know, like a really committed effort to figure out and like a lot of long-term research of like, what is the best way, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and then speaking of that, I, I wonder what percentage of money is actually spent on psychiatric drugs. Yeah. Versus, you know, some of the others, like, you know, like, like how, you know, how would a uh, psychotropic drug research compare to something for uh, GERD? Right. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Right. Well, because it's know, easy to, more. like, it's still way more socially acceptable to tell people, like, that you yeah. have, you know, like a physical illness than that you're struggling with a mental illness. Yeah. Like, there's still a lot. You know, yeah, I feel like there's a tendency also to like blame yourself if you have a mental illness where it's just like, oh, like I need to snap out of it in a way that like you don't when it's a physical thing because it's, you know, that you're taught in that way that it's like, oh, something bad has happened to you that like there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And like, oh, like there is a way to fix it. Doctors will help me that you don't always get with mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so you started this whole process looking mm-hmm. for this letter, which you you didn't find. Um, no, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. But like in the process, I, I feel like of writing this, like you did come out of it with other things, like a different understanding of your mom and a different understanding of your dad. Like, what do you think was like the biggest thing that you got out of this whole process? Oh, well, considering that these people. Uh, my mother was 23, my father was 24. He had two uh, boys, my brothers, in diapers yeah. to care for, 
you know, after she went into the hospital. And uh, I think one of the biggest things for me has been to try to understand how difficult this was. <laughs> and we still, we don't talk about this. We don't talk about the ramifications of having, you know, one family member, whether it's a parent or it's one of the children, uh, you know, having mental illness, how, how that impacts the family. And I, I am just amazed that they got through the tunnel in and out and had as normal a life uh, as they did, mm-hmm. you know. And I have actually just finished a book about those four months uh, and I go back with uh, main characters of my mother in the hospital, my father outside of the hospital, trying to cope and hold things together. And uh, I'm going to have to go back because I just had <laughs> a good friend <laughs> read it. And she said, uh, Cheryl, it's more about your father than it is your mother. And I yeah. said, yeah, because I have neglected really researching him. So now I'm going to have to go back to that book you know, and add more stuff about Grace in the hospital because uh, uh, I've developed an admiration for my father mm-hmm. that I never had, um, you know, thinking about what he did to hold the family together as well as he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd say just as like an observer too, like the other thing that you've gotten is like uh, as the book I I think it was like scary for you to put the book out into the world because it's oh, like yes. <laughs> deeply personal <laughs> um, and like it's stuff that like and it was funny because like I don't think I even realized that because like I've heard about you like I mean you've spent five years like yeah. doing this project so like to me like it was already out there and it's already something we've been doing and we've already been talking about it but like um you know obviously like the moment when you're like oh like other people that I don't know can read this and like read about my family and about the story but I think the cool thing has been like watching people that you know like you never knew that you've known your whole life or you've known for a long time um you know who had similar stories kind of come forward and be like you know I never told you but you know my mom or my dad or this close relative or sister or whoever like went through a similar thing and like starting to have those conversations because I think like we've already said like people don't talk about it and you don't really realize until you share your own story like oh other people are going through the same thing and like how much easier would this have been if the whole time it was acceptable to share this and to talk about it and I had known you know oh all of these other people in my life are going through a similar thing and could like use that as a support system like that would have been a lot easier like probably but like I think it's been cool to now you know even now they'll like realize like oh like oh yeah like that it's meaningful like to realize all of these different people like in your life have gone you know through a, a similar thing or you know like have an understanding of what happened. Yeah, it's it's um, like at the launch that that you very graciously uh, <laughs> with the buddy. I was the cater winner. <laughs> was, was serving refreshments, um, but at the launch, I had cousins from your your grandfather Albert's side come, and the ones that were all older than me all said, "Oh, we always knew." Yeah, you know, Grace was struggling with something. 
But then the cousin who was a few years younger than me said, I didn't know. <laughs> a classic younger sibling response. Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> no one told me. And, and I'm standing there with these people and I'm saying, why didn't anybody say anything to me? Yeah. And your cousin Minnie said, <laughs> it's because you were just a kid. You know, yeah. You're going to bring it up to you. you yeah. And so forth. And I think people tend to do that. Yeah. You know, like a kid knows, wait a minute, something's wrong here. But they'll kind of gloss it over. They'll take him out for ice cream yeah. or yeah. they'll buy him a toy or something like that and not really, uh, you know, discuss it. But, uh, yeah, so I have, have uh, blossomed quite a bit <laughs> because uh, uh, I, I had really struggled yeah. to read those first couple pages at the launch yeah and got quite a strong reaction yeah. <laughs> from that huge crowd yeah uh, yeah um should i take a minute to mention what the other four essays are sure yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, okay uh well one essay uh is written by the granddaughter of uh, a russian jewish refugee from world war ii uh and uh, it is basically the impact of, uh, you know, the Jewish persecution on three generations. Yeah. And she's quite skilled at talking about uh, the whole persecution complex mm -hmm. uh, and how it affected family life, how it affected humor. She talks a little bit about the Bush Belt in upstate New York and how it made uh, Jewish humor. Jewish comedians, so unique. Uh, um, there is another one written uh, by the daughter of um, people from Holland who were basically very much encouraged to immigrate to Canada because they were Calvinists and uh, the people in Europe didn't like them. <laughs> they didn't like the religion. It was a very stern, strict religion it didn't fit in well uh, in Holland uh, and then she talks some about how her father's uh, religious zealotry affected the family. Mm -hmm. uh, another interesting one uh, is about a woman who was um, an Irish adoptee in the early 1950s. Back when uh, that was uh, quite a thing with the Catholic orphanages in and around Dublin uh, and basically shipping their babies over to wealthier Americans wow. and so forth and in her case the adoption did not work well. Uh, she and her mother never bonded and it was a, a problem. Uh, and then the one, uh, the other one I think we've already mentioned a little bit, the lady who uh, is a little bit older than us and grew up pre-pill era uh, and her Grandmother was a suffragette. Her mother was a Chautauqua actress. And then they both got married and assumed very traditional roles. And the writer didn't know why. She yeah. constantly questioned why in the world. And she tried to rebel against it and so forth. So those are the other four essays. And we should say you can find Compassionate Journey honoring our mother's stories on Amazon. Are there other places that they can go to to find it? Where is Amazon the best way? Uh, Amazon would work. We have a website with that name. <laughs> you type in the whole thing. Actually, usually you get to about honoring our mothers and it, pop, it pops up. <laughs> uh, but you can also... Uh, 
uh, buy it from the publishers. Mm -hmm. uh, at the bottom of the homepage, uh, you can uh, use PayPal if you have PayPal and buy it. Uh, it's also in a lot of local stores mm -hmm. uh, in the greater Portland area, Sherman's, uh, Letterpress, Longfellow, Print. Our friend oh, so was just telling us that she saw it when she was in Freeport. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, it's an L5 Sherman. Yeah. Uh, and it's so in the southern main area. <laughs> and we're still around doing a lot of readings uh, and so forth. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Was there anything that we missed that we wanted to talk about? or I don't know. Is there anything that like we didn't ask about that you want to talk about? I don't think so. <laughs> I think we're pretty much, pretty much covered. I, I would just like to mention that I'm just, I'm really surprised. Like, I'm in a memoir group with uh, some ladies who are old enough to be my mother in their late 80s. And um, after reading the book, they come and they talk to me about um, a brother. Yeah. You know, who was gay and committed suicide mm -hmm. way back in the day, like 40, 50 years ago, and how they feel bad that they, they did not speak up about mm -hmm. this marginalized brother. Uh, and then going down to younger people, you know, so it, it really does span, you know, maybe four generations. I mean, we all have mothers. Well, <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, with you know the fact that it does touch people uh, of different ages. Yeah. yeah. So I do thank you. Thank you. Given, given, uh, I don't. Have we ever had a guest star? No, you're our first. You're guest the first star. guest star. <laughs> you're doing it. Like this is the best way we can possibly pick <laughs> that off too. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. You can find Alice and I on Instagram. Yeah. And on the internet. I don't. And why am I bad at this? On <laughs> iTunes. We're bad at it every single every episode. Time. But yeah, it's, we are on I, iTunes. Our Instagram handle is We Are Snark Notes. Notes. And yeah, thank you guys for listening. And Cheryl, thank you for joining us and yeah. for talking about this. Oh, you're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. See you later. <laughs>